following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. Our uh, choir special that we started off with this morning, uh, we sang and celebrated about the fact that we have been redeemed. And I think that's one of those words that sometimes we take for granted. We don't really dwell on the, the true meaning of it. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, the Apostle Paul says that in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So as we think tonight about the concept of redemption in the book of Ruth, chapter 3, there are several thoughts that kind of go through my mind, and especially as we sang that song this morning, those thoughts were going through my mind. My mind was already going on this sermon tonight and what I'd looked at in it. And You know what? What are we redeemed? How are we redeemed? We're redeemed through his blood. What are we redeemed for? What are we redeemed to? What are we redeemed from? So this this whole process of setting up the story in the first two chapters of the book of Ruth kind of bring this um, to an apex, to a point to where uh, we see exactly what's going on uh, behind the scenes, behind the story, and setting the stage for what happens that we look at Tonight. So before we get into the, the actual passage that we're going to look at tonight, we're going to be in verse 10. There's a couple of Hebrew terms that we need to uh, really discuss and get a hold of because they're used throughout the entire book of, of Ruth. Uh, the first of those two Hebrew terms is the word hesed, H-E-S-E-D, and it's found three separate times in the book of Ruth. And the, the, the meaning is this. The meaning is that it's a loyal love. And it's a loving kindness that is experienced and given. It's a reciprocal term. It could be used either way as a loving kindness that is expressed by someone or experienced by someone. And you see that uh, in several places. Uh, first place is back in chapter 1, verse 8. We covered it early in our study of the book of Ruth. And so back in chapter 1, verse 8, uh, the conversation is between Naomi and her daughters and, and Ruth specifically. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you. And that word kindly right there is a Hebrew word has said. And so she says, may the Lord deal kindly with you. It's not only is it expressed here in a divine manner, but it can also be said that it is reciprocal as they are experiencing God's kindness and God's love and God dealing kindly with them. Therein is where Ruth gets her drive and her determination to re-express what she's experienced to her mother-in-law. And then in chapter 2, verse 20, Naomi uses the same term as she begins describing who Boaz actually is in relation to her family and what he can do for Ruth. In chapter 2, verse 20, 
uh, she uses that same term. She said, then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. And so when we look at that, uh, this is where translation and capitalization of the uh, personal pronouns comes into play at. Uh, if you'll notice, the word Lord is all in capital letters. That is definitely talking about Yahweh uh, as Lord. But when it says His kindness, uh, depending on what translation you use, that word may or may not be capitalized. New King James Version, which I typically preach out of, it is capitalized. So it's talking about God's kindness to the living and to the dead. Well, how in the world can it be kind to someone who is dead? It's all about this principle of the kinsman redeemer and the laws that the Lord had set up to provide for those who have lost a husband. And, and the kinsman redeemer steps in. So this is the Lord's covenantal kindness, basically through the provision of the kinsman redeemer principle through the law. And we'll look at that here in just a moment. And then uh, chapter 3, verse 10 that we're going to get into tonight, we, we start off looking at this word, has said in, in kindness. Uh, then he said, this is Boaz speaking to Ruth herself, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end. So the kindness and loving kindness that Ruth experienced early on, in the narrative, she is now beginning to express and Boaz notices her loving kindness to her mother-in-law. Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning. So this is a display of family, loyalty, and devotion that Ruth is going through. As Boaz becomes her kinsman redeemer, he notices that she is loyal to her family. The only reason that Ruth is there now, because she is wanting to continue on the family name of both Naomi and her deceased husband. And so she's now expressing her loving kindness to Naomi by seeking out a kinsman redeemer to continue the family name. Little does she know that she's She's just following God's overall plan of securing the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. Little does she know that what happens between her and Boaz will play into the family tree of not only David, but of as Jesus as well. And so the next word that I want you to see that, that happens, we don't necessarily see it um, repeated over and over again, but it's one that the whole principle of the book of Ruth is based on, and that is the principle of the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, and it's G-O hyphen E-L. And so the Goel principle was that when a woman has a deceased husband, the next of kin is to step in and to continue on the family line. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 25 with me for just a moment, and I'll read to you um, exactly what this principle was, where it's found in the Mosaic law. And what it describes in the scripture. So you'll have a better understanding of 
what it talks about. Uh, mine has a heading. Of course, this is not inspired. It's not original, but it's the marriage duty of the surviving brother is how it describes it. And Deuteronomy 25, uh, the word Deuteronomy literally means the second law. It's not a second set of law, but it's a second giving of the law that Moses provides to the Israelites before they go into the promised land. Uh, he just reemphasizes certain things in the law that the Lord has given. And this is one of them. Uh, beginning in verse 5, it says, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go in to her, take her as a wife, and perform the duty of the husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother. It's all about carrying on the family name uh, for their family. Uh, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate of the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise. Um, I missed a part there. Verse 7. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. Remember this because this is where uh, Boaz comes into play at. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed. And so that is the principle that Goel is to step in in the place of a deceased brother and continue the family name. To be redeemed and set and brought back, to, to be redeemed and brought back, uh, continuing the family name, uh, the principle of the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. Uh, the word redeemed means to actually be brought back, to set free from slavery, to set free from sin. But here in the book of Ruth, the word redeemer is used at least 20 times. Uh, it means to be made new creations or giving new relationship with God, which is exactly what we see happening with Ruth. If you remember, she's a, a Moabite. She's not a native Hebrew. She's not one of the Israelites. She's not one of God's chosen. But through her relationship with Boaz, she will be adopted into God's family her family, uh, her husband's family name will continue on as Boaz steps in and fulfill his, his, his duty according to the law. And so as we begin in verse 10, uh, Ruth has made herself presentable and has approached Boaz at night. Uh, Naomi gave her instructions, discipled her, mentored her, and, and told her how to approach him uh, to ask him to become the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. And uh, in the middle of the night, she comes, she uh, uncovers his feet and lays down uh, under his blanket, under his skirt, under his protection. She says, take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. And in verse 10, we pick up the narrative. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness, more has said, at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after 
young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Let's stop right there for just a moment. Point number one. Here's what I want you to see out of those two verses. God knows when we are genuinely sincere. God knows when we're genuinely sincere. He knows our heart. He knows our heart better than we do. He loves us anyway. Uh, Some of you have a good way of um, seeing whether or not someone is actually sincere in their actions. Uh, You just have a natural ability to pick up on their sincerity, whether they are honest, whether they're being open, whether they're shooting straight with you. Whatever the case may be, some people are easy to see through. You can tell that they're putting on a smoke screen. Uh, They're just giving you a line that is unbelievable, and you know that they're not sincere. They're not going to fulfill their promises. You know that they're not actually who they're made up to be. Some people are easy to read. You can tell by their body language. You can tell by the sound of their voice. You can tell by their tone whether or not they're sincere. But Boaz has evidence here of Ruth. He's examined her life. He can see their sincerity. Uh, Evidence that Boaz, the Redeemer, knew that Ruth was sincere and worthy of being redeemed, whether she actually was who she said she was. Here's some evidence that he saw her sincerity. First of all, she showed kindness. She was more interested in her mother-in-law and her family and her deceased husband and continuing on her name. If you'll remember, she had the opportunity to go back to her parents in the land of Moab and she refused. She said, I want to stay faithful to my husband. I want to make sure that his family name continues on. So Boaz sees the sincerity in her kindness that she shows to her mother-in-law and her deceased husband as well. Something else that he points out specifically here, he said, I see that you are sincere because you did not go after the younger men. He said, you had the opportunity while you were there to go after younger men, maybe richer men, maybe someone else that could have helped you out, but instead you came to me. I see your your sincerity in that because I'm the only one that is capable of carrying on the lineage of your family. Also, she pursued God's will over her own. It wasn't necessarily her agenda that she was on. She was being faithful and obedient to the vows of marriage that she made before the Lord to her husband. So he saw that she was sincere in the way that she pursued God's will over her home. She was willing to sacrifice her own agenda to pursue God's will for her life and for her mother-in-law as well. Another way that Boaz picked up on Ruth's sincerity was she was more concerned over her mother-in-law's safety and care in a way that caused her to take action. She would go out every day to find grain to support her mother-in-law to make sure she had what she needed to sustain her life. Also, he saw her sincerity in that she was committed to her family and her husband's name and legacy. So if we go back to chapter 1, which one was her husband? If we go in the order that is listed... In chapter 1, it kind of gives a rundown of that. 
Uh, it first lists the two sons, Malan and uh, Chilion. And next it lists uh, the two daughters-in-law as Orpha and Ruth. So if we go off of that list, uh, Malan was married to Orpha and Chilion was married to Ruth. So here's the thing. about uh, As a preacher, uh, I'm kind of glad that these guys don't have last names. <laughs> I'm glad they just give them first names only because the struggle's real sometimes. I know you hear that as I struggle through some of these names and some of these words. Um, but if we go through the list in that order, if we're looking at it, if we're matching them up according to the list, that's, that's how it falls uh, in the context of the scripture. But I think Ruth was very, very devoted to her husband. We don't have a whole lot of background of their relationship. But it was obvious that she loved her husband very much. She loved her mother-in-law very much. She loved her father-in-law very much. And she loved them enough to say, you know what, I want to see that family name. There was something about that family that made her say, I want to see that family name continue on. And I want to do justice for my deceased husband and make sure the lineage of his family is continued on. And I think Boaz picked up on her sincerity and just how deeply devoted she was uh, her, her said, her devotion, her loving kindness to her family. So another way that he saw that her sincerity was deep and true, uh, he was looking at some evidence there of her sincerity. Her reputation preceded her. Um, he said, everybody in town knows who you are. They've seen you work. Um, everybody knows that you are a virtuous woman. There's evidence there of the people in town. They're talking about you. You've come in. You've helped your mother-in-law. So in all in all, he, he wanted to redeem her. He wanted to do what was right for her because he saw her sincerity as a person. Next thing I want you to see, uh, let's pick up in verse 12 and read 12 and 13. It says, now it's true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Go back to that law in Deuteronomy chapter 25, what I was talking about. Boaz knows the law. He knows the proper protocol and the steps that need to be made here. He said, I, I could do this, but let, let's do it right. Let's do what the law requires. He says, however, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives, lie down until the morning. So Boaz is saying, look, I, I want you to be redeemed. I, I want to give you what you're looking for. And I want to make sure that you attain what you are looking for. Part of this redemption process is to bring her out of the situation that she is in and put her into a better position than she ever imagined before. And Boaz is saying whether I do it or whether someone else does it, we're going to make sure that it's done right. So point number two, here's what I want you to see. If we're creating a picture here, if we're creating a tapestry, if we're creating a, a shadow of things to come, here's what I want you to know is that God will never impose his will upon you. 
Boaz's will, Boaz's desire was to see this situation unfold and help out in whatever way he could. But he wasn't going to force the matter by doing it the way that he wanted to. He wanted to make sure it was done according to the proper protocol and according to the laws that were set in place. He had the opportunity. Oh, he, he had the opportunity to take advantage of the situation, but instead, he was also a sincere man. He chose the proper protocol. And so Ruth had already captured his attention back in chapter 2, verse 5. And now she was pursuing him. She caught him off guard in the middle of the night by approaching him, uncovering his feet and lying down at his feet. And he could have exploited her um, very easily on that night. He could have made things happen that night that would have fulfilled everything that Ruth was looking to do. But, but it was God's will that this relationship would happen on the proper terms and on mutual terms as well. So as we think about our relationships with other people, are we fulfilling the right protocol? Are we looking at God's laws? Are we looking at God's ways? Are we making sure those relationships line up and are fulfilled according to God's will? He has that word in there. However, he says, look, it's, it's true that I'm a close relative. We're, we're this close to making it happen. However, I, I know of somebody else. In other words, let's make sure that this relationship honors and pleases the Lord. He wasn't going to impose his will upon Ruth. He was going to do it according to the laws that were set in place. And so Boaz genuinely desires to provide for Ruth what the world could not provide. He sees her in sincere intentions. He understands the depth of her desperation. And he wants to provide for her a life that no one else can. He wants to give her a new life and a new name. And he wants to help her fulfill God's plan for her life. That That's the whole thing about what being a redeemed Child of God is about, but God is not going to force his will upon you. He wants to offer all of that to a person. He wants to offer all of that to everyone. But he wants you to come on his terms. He, he wants someone to seek him. He wants someone to say, God, what, what can you do for me? What, what can you do for me? What can you set? I need to be set free. And I, I'm putting myself at your feet. I'm putting myself at your mercy. And I want you to redeem me. But God will never, ever, ever force his will upon you. He wants to come to you willingly and ask him, say, God, give me a fresh start and redeem me in a way that no one else can. So as we continue in verse 14, we see, uh, so she lay at his feet until morning. She rose before one could uh, recognize another. It was still dark. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. So Boaz being a man of honor and integrity, he says, look, I don't want gossip getting out. I don't want anybody talking bad about this situation. We want to do this the right way. We don't want rumors going around. 
So let, let's, let's keep this quiet. Let's keep this hush-hush just like it never happened until I can make sure that we are following the right steps in this relationship. Also, he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. Here's the thing that I want you to know about that. God has sealed our redemption with a promise. God has sealed our redemption with a promise. He's paid the down payment for our salvation. He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. And so not just once, but multiple times, Boaz stakes his reputation on what he vows to do. It's not just words either. It's his actions that seal the promise. In verse 11, he says, do not fear. I will do for you what you're asking. And in verse 13, he said, he takes it a step further. He said, just as the Lord lives, I'm going to make sure that this is done right. Whether it's me or someone else, we're going to make sure as the Lord lives, I promise you, I'm going to pursue this. You've got my word. You've got my promise that this redemption is going to take place one way or the other. And then he makes the down payment with the barley. He says, look, here's signed, sealed, and delivered. This, this, I'm, I'm giving you a down payment right here. This is my promise that I'm going to fulfill for you what you're asking. So that's exactly what God does with us. The Holy Spirit is a down, down payment. He's a seal. He's the promise. Uh, until the day of our redemption. He's, he signifies that our salvation has taken place. He says, that's the promise that I'm going to come back and get you. You are now mine. You've been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus Christ paid for all of our sins, and then the Holy Spirit has sealed us until the day of redemption. Pick it up in verse 16. It says, when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me. For he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. So point number four is this. Choosing God's will over our desires allows us to live in confidence. How confident are you in God's redeeming power? How confident are you that God will hold true to his word that you are redeemed? That he has sealed you with the promise of the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Obviously, Ruth is nervous and excited about what's going on. I don't know if she's got a lot of nervous energy built up. I don't know if she's spinning around the house excited over the situation or the promise that's been made. But Naomi says, oh, hold on, hold on. Sit still just a moment. Take a breath. Breathe. Calm down just a little bit. And be confident that this man, a 
according to his word, according to his promise, according to this down payment that he's given, is going to do exactly what he said he would. Perhaps this is what the psalmist was thinking when he wrote in Psalms 46.10, to be still and know who God is. Be still and be confident that God is working on a plan. Be still and confident that one of these days your redemption is going to come to complete fruition. Your salvation has already been paid for. The down payment is within you as a believer, the Holy Spirit of promise. Now we wait for that redemption to come to fruition. And so here's some of the implications of Boaz redeeming Ruth. What would it mean? What exactly would it mean for Boaz to actually redeem Ruth? Number one, it means that he has brought her out of her slavery of her widowhood. When this redemption comes to fruition, she will no longer be a widow. Her husband's name will continue on. His lineage will continue on. As Boaz fulfills what is according to the law. For Boaz to redeem Ruth would mean that he has helped improve her impoverished circumstances. She didn't know where to go. She didn't know if there was an answer in sight. Boaz says, I've got the answers to all of that. If someone else does not fulfill it, I'll fulfill it for you. And I'm going to help you out of this situation that you're in. For Boaz to redeem Ruth means that he would have rectified her hopeless situation. They had traveled a dangerous journey. They spent at least 10 years wandering around, not knowing where to go, what to do, who was going to help, or how the situation was going to get, how the situation was going to end up. But for Boaz to redeem Ruth, he said all of that would have been over with. Wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. For Boaz to redeem Ruth would mean that he has ended her life of tirelessly laboring. Two widows couldn't own land, couldn't own a farm, couldn't own a business. They were barely surviving as she was going out gleaning in the field. She was picking up the leftovers. That the reapers would leave behind. Can you imagine the long days out there. Not knowing if you were going to come home. At the end of the day. Not knowing if you were going to survive at the end of the day. Not knowing where your next meal was going to come from. Working, working, working. Doing what you could to survive. But if Boaz were to redeem Ruth. She would not have to work anymore. She would rely completely on him to supply all of her needs. Not just the needs of fulfilling her family lineage and continuing that. But every day she wouldn't have to go out and glean in the fields anymore. She wouldn't have to pick up the crumbs or the scraps. Her life would be completely changed because she wouldn't have to labor anymore. For us to be redeemed, we don't have to work for our salvation. For us to truly be redeemed means that God has provided everything for our salvation. Amen. You can say amen to that. 
That's what it's all about. When you fully understand the concept of being redeemed, that's part of it. Man, all I have to do is enjoy the pleasures of my salvation. I don't have to work. I can't work for it. I can't earn it. I I don't deserve it. I can't be good enough to deserve it. And there is nothing. If there was any way that I could earn my salvation, then that death on the cross was in vain. Not only that, but if Boaz were to redeem Ruth, it would mean that he's provided her with a new identity. She would no longer be the husband of someone else. She would be the husband of uh, the wife of Boaz. She would have a completely new identity. She would no longer be Ruth the widow. She would no longer be Ruth the Moabite. She would no longer be Ruth the citizen of a pagan land. She would be adopted into God's family. She would have a completely new identity. And for you to be redeemed means that you have a new identity as well. You're not the old person that you used to be. You are a new person in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a child of God. You have been redeemed. You've been set free. And you have been given a completely new identity as well. For Boaz to redeem Ruth would mean that he has provided her with wealth unknown. Man, this is the best part. We're not talking about riches here on this earth. We're not talking about material possessions. We're talking about eternal wealth. Wealth unknown. One of these days, the streets of gold, man, we're going to get to work, walk on those. Something that money can't buy. Because we have been redeemed. Samuel Gordon, in his, in his book, A Quiet Talk on Prayer, he had this to say. He said, the heart of God hungers to redeem the world. Here's the thing. Boaz didn't have to do any of this for Ruth. He was under no obligation. He didn't even know Ruth exists until we started in this narrative. He didn't know what was going on. He didn't know what was happening. And God didn't have to save us either. Jesus didn't have to die on the cross for us, but God said, I love you so much and I want you to spend all of eternity with me. I want you to be a part of my family. And that's what he says to every person here on this earth. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to redeem us and set us free from that curse of sin. When we choose God's will over our own desires and we rest in his loving kindness, and redeeming power while remaining loyal to him, that is what a lost world will notice. When we understand truly what we've been redeemed from and what we've been redeemed for, and when we start following God's will and his agenda instead of ours like Ruth did, things start happening that the lost world notices. Note the confidence that Naomi has in the overall outcome of the situation. Verse 18, sit still, my daughter. Hey, 
the situation is taken care of. See, you, you really don't know my God the way that I do is what she's saying. You really don't know what my God can do for you. But you're about to find out. Sit still and just watch what God does with this situation. I'm not sure of what all Naomi had experienced prior to the beginning of this narrative. I don't know what she experienced before being married to her husband. I don't know what she experienced prior to losing her husband. I don't know what she experienced all along the lines of God's provisions. But she's confident enough in what God is going to provide that she tells her daughter-in-law, look, just sit still. This man is a man of God. He's a man of honor. He's a man of integrity. And everything that he's told you, he's going to take care of. He's giving you his word. Sit still. This man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. What a God we serve. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He knows where we've been and he knows what we need. Just like Boaz did with Ruth. He said, look, I know where you've been. I know what you've been doing. I can see all the sincerity of your actions. I can see that you're a virtuous woman. That's the way God is. He sees our life. He sees all the dirtiness. He sees all the messes. He sees all the places we've been. He even knows all of the thoughts that we've been thinking. He says, you know what? I love you anyway. He says, I want to take care of those needs. I want to help you out of that situation you're in. Just like Boaz is telling Ruth here, I want to do this for you because I see the kind of person that you are. And he is more than capable of taking care of our needs. Naomi has got enough confidence in what God can do to where she tells her daughter-in-law, look, just sit still for a minute. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. She says, if you'll give God just a little bit of time, if you'll give Boaz just enough time, he's made a promise. He can do for you what nobody else can. And sometimes we want to get in the situation and, and do what we can. We, we usually tend to mess things up when we do that. Instead of just sitting back and saying, look, God, I know you got this. I know you're, that you're more than capable of handling this. I'm going to be still and I'm going to watch what you do. Remember, that's exactly what Moses told the children of Israel when they stood at the Red Sea. They had the Red Sea in front of them. They had the Egyptian army closing in behind them. He said, be still and watch the salvation of the Lord. He said, God got this. God has this. There's not a thing in the world that you can do about it. You're basically trapped between a rock and a hard spot. But if you'll be still, you'll see the salvation of the Lord and he's going to redeem you. 
And so your, your situation that you're in right now, I don't know where you stand. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what situation you're in or what you're dealing with. But God is more than capable and more than willing to take care of it. We've been talking a lot about Abraham and, and the children of Israel this morning lifting up their eyes, trying to experience what they saw when they did that, what it means to look up. I lift up mine eyes into the hill where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. Turn with me to Luke chapter 21. How do we know that we're getting near our redemption? How do we know that our redemption is about to come to fruition? How do we know that Ruth and Naomi's redemption is about to come to fruition? All all the signs are there. All the evidence is there. Everything is in place for it to happen. And as we move into chapter 4, we see that actually coming to fruition. Everything that we looked at in this narrative, all, all the pieces are about to fall in place for their overall redemption, for their kinsman redeemer to set in and make things right for her. But as a Christian, we're, we're waiting for our redemption to come to fruition. Here's what Jesus had to say. Luke 21, beginning in verse 25, he, he explains some things that will take place in the end times. He said, there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, the stress of nations with perplexity, the sea and waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and with great glory. Now, when these things begin to happen, I I think those things are beginning to happen. I truly believe that we are drawing close to this day that Jesus is fixing to explain to us. And just like the story of Ruth, all, all the pieces of the puzzle are in place. Everything is taking place according to what Scripture says and what we can see in the Scripture about end times. Jesus says, now when these things begin to happen, oh, here's the exciting part. Here's what we look for. Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Amen. Does that give you some hope for tonight? God knows when we're genuinely sincere. He's never going to impose his will upon us. He, He has sealed our redemption with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And now we can live in confidence of knowing if we'll choose his will over our desires, all we've got to do is lift up and see our, our redemption is coming. It's close. It's at hand. It's drawing closer and closer and closer. That final quote there, Roy Lesson, in his book, Today is Your Best Day. When the Bible says that you have been redeemed, it means that you have been absolutely freed, fully re- released, and totally delivered from all that had you bound 
in the past. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening thanking you so much for our redemption. We thank you so so much, Lord, for those signs that you give us that our redemption is drawing closer and closer and closer. And Lord, it is tough sometimes to be patient and watch your plan unfold, but we know that you are working on something. And Lord, that waiting action, it's it's not passive, but it's active. Uh, We're not just to sit around twiddling our thumbs, Lord God, but we are to be actively pursuing and fulfilling the Great Commission. Help us, Lord God, to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Help us as we look at stories like this story of Ruth, Lord God, uh, to inspire us and guide us and let us know that uh, your plan uh, sometimes is way more complex and complicated than we'll ever understand, Lord God. But one of these days we'll look back and we'll see exactly why you allowed those events to happen in our lives. Lord, I left up the people here tonight that may be going through a struggle. Pray that tonight's message will give them some hope, Lord God, that you're working out a plan in their life as well. I'm sure, Lord God, that uh, Ruth would have never imagined that she would have been in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ, that she would have been in that genealogy. Lord God, we just don't know what you're going to use us for. I I don't know um, what you're going to use each and every person for here, Lord God. You may have... Uh, The next great evangelist here. You may have the next great missionary here, Lord God. We just don't know uh, what you're going to use our lives for, Lord God. But I know that if we'll actively pursue your will, if we'll set our agenda to the side, Lord God, and put your priorities over ours, uh, that those plans will come to fruition, Lord God. We just thank you for all that you're doing, Lord God. We look forward to... um, continue in this study and we look forward to uh, the opportunity Lord to go out this week and let others know that uh, God is still on his throne and uh, that Jesus saves and he has a plan for their life as well help us to share uh, help us to passionately share our faith with someone this week Lord God help us to be looking for those opportunities to uh, give someone the good news that we know Uh, that you're coming soon and that you want to save them from whatever it is that's hindering them in their lives. And we just ask it all in the most precious and holy name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.